Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360, a multidisciplinary medical information network. The World Health Organization Global Strategy on Integrated People-Centered Health Services focuses on a fundamental paradigm shift in the way health services are funded, managed, and delivered. Davina Kanagasabe is here to speak with us today about her presentation at the International AIDS Conference 2022 titled Real World Impact of Integrated Person-Centered HIV, Primary Health Care, Better Uptake, Retention, and Health Outcomes Across Four Countries. Davina is a Senior Technical Advisor for HIV and Viral Hepatitis with PATH. Thank you for joining us today. Can you please provide us with an overview of your session? Sure. Just to tell a little bit about PATH for those who aren't familiar, PATH is a global team. We're dedicated to achieving health equity so that all people and communities can thrive. And so we do this by advising and partnering with governments, multilateral organizations, social investors, and private sectors to solve some of the world's most pressing health challenges. And as part of our focus on the primary health care side, we do a lot of the work we do with countries and partners are to really think about how we can reimagine primary health care and how that's delivered and the systems behind it so that they're more people-centered and data-driven and give everyone a fair chance at health and well-being. This presentation was part of a session at the AIDS 2022 conference, which is really trying to answer the question of how do we practically facilitate advancing person-centered HIV and primary health care during project implementation and just as part of everyday service delivery. And so like the idea of integrated person-centered health care is not certainly not a new concept, but I think that one that's been increasingly coming to the fore, especially during COVID-19 and especially now as we look towards global goals in 2030 for achieving universal health coverage. So, but the question is, sort of what does integrated person-centered care look like in practice, and how do we make that happen? And these are the questions that we were really sort of trying to answer during the session at the conference, both through highlighting guidelines the World Health Organization has put out around person-centered care, as well as providing some practical examples of how practitioners involved in HIV service delivery can advance integrated person centered primary health care, which at the end of the, of the day, at its core, is really about tailoring healthcare services to meet the needs and preferences of different populations across the contexts that they're based in. And so in my presentation, I highlighted four vignettes showing how we at PASS have adapted HIV service delivery to more holistically meet the needs of people living with HIV, the Democratic Republic of Congo and Kenya, to people in prisons in Ukraine, and then finally for gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men and transgender people in Vietnam. So the examples that I spoke to in my presentation really focus on three principles, among others, that PATH applies to advance person-centered primary health care. So the first principle is taking a whole person care approach by building onto the HIV service delivery platform to provide entry points to other health and social services that are critical to a person's overall well-being. So whether that be viral hepatitis and non-communicable diseases to mental health. So to provide an example, a path in our PEPFAR and USAID funded programming in Ukraine and Vietnam have been adapting our HIV service delivery models to integrate access to diagnostic, treatment, and prevention services for other disease areas. So for example, in the Ukraine, we worked with the Ministry of Justice there to pilot 
expand and really systematize service integration. So providing people in prisons and other closed settings with access to sort of a menu of comprehensive services ranging from HIV, tuberculosis, hepatitis C, and most recently opioid agonist therapy at a single entry point. And this has also included using uh, new multiplex diagnostic tools to support integrated diagnostic services that people are able to get access to their results much faster. And it's a much more efficient process on the health clinic side as well. And so we did that by piloting, for example, the gene expert platform to accelerate simultaneous TB, hepatitis C, and HIV diagnosis and monitoring. And in Vietnam, we worked with key population-led organizations and private clinics, as well as the Vietnam Administration of AIDS Control to pioneer a one-stop shop clinic model, with these clinics providing access at a single touch point to a number of services that are critical for a person's health and well-being, and this included HIV, sexually transmitted infections, viral hepatitis screening and care, uh, gender-affirming services, and most recently, mental health services to sort of address the longer-term complications of COVID-19 and its impact on the mental health of key populations and people living with and affected by HIV. The second principle is promoting service differentiation, and we're talking here about really simplifying and decentralizing service delivery, particularly developing models that shift services out of health facilities and into communities and other service delivery points. And as part of that task shifting to give, and it's really about giving people options and the choice of how, where, and from whom they can rebut receive uh, healthcare services. So community, peer, private sector providers. And an example uh, that I highlighted from Kenya, PATH has been working to integrate hypertension services into HIV and primary healthcare platforms in Western Kenya with support from PEPFAR and Resolve to Save Lives um, since 2017. And currently through one of our projects, we're working with three health facilities and government counterparts in Western Kenya to also establish a one-stop shop approach for integrated HIV and hypertension services. And it's both focused on improving hypertension screening for people living with HIV, as well as continuity in hypertension care and treatment. So we're doing this by sort of pulling on elements of service differentiation. So offering screening at four types of facility and community service uh, delivery sites so that people are able to have a choice of where they can access those hypertension screening services, as well as integrating hypertension care services into two HIV treatment delivery models so that people are able to access care for hypertension at the same time that they might be picking up their HIV refills. And then as part of this model, we also uh, promote task shifting. And so by using existing community health volunteers and peer educators to offer education on hypertension and do the initial blood pressure screening. And so third principle, and in my view, the most critical one is ensuring that programming is really community powered. And we can do this by embedding human-centered design principles when we're developing new healthcare interventions, and then also by incorporating structures that allow for clients and community stakeholders to monitor and share feedback on the quality of healthcare services that are being delivered and that they receive. So both of these elements help to ensure that health services are delivered in ways that are aligned with client preferences, while also helping to tackle some of the persistent access and continuity barriers that we can continue to see in healthcare delivery. And so through our PEPFAR-funded project in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, we have applied human-centered design to co-create with people living with HIV and facility-based providers an electronic tool to gather feedback on service quality. And so we use peer educators to conduct exit interviews with clients 
following their clinic appointments for HIV treatment and monitoring and record the client's responses into an online application. And we embedded this tool into quality improvement processes that we support at the clinic level with facility-based providers and clinicians working with clients to identify and implement solutions to issues that the clients raise during active exit interviews. So that's sort of in a nutshell what I sort of highlighted in my presentation. Now, you certainly touched on this a little bit, but what are the benefits of integrated person-centered HIV primary health care, and how does it shape the care experience? So the benefits of an integrated person-centered delivery approach is really that it leads to more flexible and simplified models that allow people to more easily and at their convenience access a menu of health, social, and other services at a single touch point. And these models, as I mentioned, also help to remove some of the barriers that keep people from engaging in care. And you can see the real world impact of these models when you look at numbers around service uptake and continuity in care and, and client satisfaction. And so to delve a little deeper into that, sure some numbers. So in Kenya, the, with the project I spoke to, when we integrated hypertension screening services into the HIV platform, we were able to screen more than 3,500 people living with HIV at three facilities in nine months. And that represents 90% of people receiving HIV treatment at these facilities. So the uptake of HIV screening increased greatly um, in, a, in, in nine months. And all the people living with HIV diagnosed also with hypertension were retained in hypertension care services at three and six months after enrollment. So I'm seeing that 100% continuity in care was um, fantastic and I think speaks to the fact that people with HIV were also able to receive hypertension care services while they were receiving their treatment. So it wasn't an, another stop that they had to make at the clinic. In Vietnam, through our key population-led one-stop shop primary health care clinics, more than 3,000 key population clients were able to access a holistic package of essential health services in, in just four months. So with many coming to these clinics seeking HIV prevention or testing services, but then also accessing viral hepatitis services or STI screening and treatment or mental health or drug addiction counseling through that single entry point of HIV prevention and, and testing. And then in the DRC, through our electronic client service quality feedback process, one of the key issues that came up from clients was the long wait times before HIV clinical care appointments. So after speaking with clients and making some adjustments to our delivery model, which included using peer and lay workers to prepare client files before appointment and also having them support triage, our facilities were able to reduce wait times from an average of 14 minutes to five minutes leading to an increase in client satisfaction with wait times. So with 99% of clients reporting wait times to be acceptable or excellent for them after just four months. And so I, you know, just being able to shorten that wait time so that clients are, don't have to wait uh, for a long time at the health facility just to pick up a treatment refill was extremely important to our clients. And that's not something that would have necessarily come out. We didn't have sort of this process for gathering client feedback. What would you say are the challenges of, of implementing this integrated person-centered HIV primary care? Some of the main challenges that really sort of come to my mind, and this is sort of speaking from more of a health systems perspective, is really thinking through how we can create an environment that enables us to advance integrated person-centered primary health care. And sort of two key components of that relate to how integrated models are financed, as well as ensuring that national policy 
frameworks provide sort of that normative grounding to support service integration. So on the financing side, much of how healthcare delivery is financed by sort of the large donors is very siloed around specific health and disease areas. And that leads to service delivery models that are really built around delivering high quality services focused on a specific disease, such as HIV, malaria, tuberculosis, or sexual and reproductive health, but doesn't allow as much room or as funding to also focus on some of the co or multimorbidities that play into a person's overall well-being. So there's a challenge there in sort of rethinking how healthcare is financed. And, and I think that means sort of having the global community and funders needing to shift towards more focused funding on health system strengthening. But in the interim, I think some, a solution that we've leveraged to promote person-centered care is sort of using, for example, a disease sort of service delivery platform. So for example, our HIV platform and sort of bringing in other sources of funding or donated products to cope and um, sort of co-creating with clients models that integrate other services. And so I spoke to those a little bit earlier with how we've integrated hypertension into HIV services in Kenya and as well as um, sort of the holistic package of services that we provide to our one-stop shop clinics in Vietnam. And then on the policy side, I think something that's really critical is ensuring that national guidelines speak to service integration and provide that grounding for collaboration between various ministries that oversee healthcare services. And that was one of the key lessons coming out of our, our the work that we did in, in Western Kenya with HIV and hypertension integration was that the Kenyan national guidelines provided for and called for a more focused integration of hypertension into HIV services. And that was critical in bringing all of the government stakeholders around the table to really think through the model and get their buy-in as part of rolling out the model. So I think those sort of the finance side and, and the policy side are both critical pieces in making sure that there is a platform that integrated person-centered services can be built upon and then most critically sustained. And then I think the final sort of piece and, and challenge is that one that's sort of been talked about quite a bit in, in um, the healthcare delivery space is sort of also financing community health workers. And especially as we move towards service differentiation and, and models of healthcare delivery that are outside of the clinic. It's really community and lay community health workers, lay providers, peer educators that sort of bear the brunt of delivering those healthcare services and very often are not as well compensated as, as sort of the clinician. So I, that's another aspect when you're thinking about financing is to really think about how we can build up these community delivery systems and make sure those are resourced um, so that they're able to be more sustainable. Yeah, you mentioned financing and policy, and you mentioned some ways that these challenges can be overcome. Do you have anything else to add to that? Any other ways that these challenges can be overcome? Yeah, so I think a bit on the financing side, I spoke to and how sort of in this interim, while so there's the discussions are happening around how we really sort of fund health systems and thinking through ways to make health systems work for the people that they support. It's really sort of using a sort of a bricolage approach to like seeing what other funding sources are there that we can build into existing healthcare delivery platforms that, so that we're able to provide sort of that one-stop um, integrated model of services. On the policy side, I think it's sort of 
their WHO, as I mentioned earlier, has put out a lot of guidelines around person-centered care and how we meaningfully integrate that in, into service delivery and what that looks like. And sort of using the, the guidelines that are out there and, and engaging with government, government stakeholders and counterparts to ensure that those are reflected in the guidelines and, and, and sort of really detail out a timeline and, and, a, and a plan for implementing and advancing some of those models is also sort of that critical second piece in making sure that once it's there in the policy, how do we then take that into action? And so really pulling on ad- advocates and activists, especially um, at the community level to hold government counterparts responsible for ensuring that um, sort of these, these policies that call for integrated primary health care are put into practice is also another critical piece. What would you say is next for research on this topic? As I mentioned, I think with COVID-19 and now is really the moment where you're seeing a lot of these more integrated models being piloted. So I think the next few years, there's sort of a critical moment and opportunity for us to really think, sort of put the examples out there, put those proof points and case studies that are being implemented right now out there, both in research as well as in normative guidelines to show that integrated and person-centered care is feasible, it's financially viable and cost-effective and can be sustainably done. So I foresee that becoming sort of coming up in in the next few years. And there's a lot of momentum, especially as we get towards 2030 and sort of the sustainable development goals and really thinking, rethinking um, how financing is done for healthcare. And so how, how do we really finance primary healthcare services and integrated service delivery and sort of shifting away from um, sort of these more siloed sources of financing. And and one way to do that is sort of being able to have those case studies and proof points out in in research and literature that we're able to point to in in discussions around financing. And lastly, what are the overall take-home messages from our conversation today? So at the end of the day, person-centered care is really about people. And so it's about the communities and, and the clients that healthcare services are being provided for. And for me, that was the biggest and most important call to action coming out of AIDS 2022 is how do we meaningfully include clients and communities into all aspects of healthcare programming? So from research and design to implementation and monitoring. I sort of keep thinking back to a conference session on quality in healthcare and Solange Baptiste, I think so succinctly and eloquently described what community-led monitoring and community inclusion in programming is. She described it as specifically community data as data that is collected by, owned by, and used to improve an issue that has been identified as important to communities. And so you're really seeing in just within that how communities and clients are reflected across that entire sort of programming spectrum. So for me, as long as we as healthcare providers and implementers and managers actively work to ensure that clients are involved in and and lead the design, delivery and monitoring of healthcare services, then we're well on our way to ensuring that healthcare services we are delivering and supporting are person-centered and help, help people not just survive, but really truly thrive. Well, Davina, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity to be able to share out what we can practically do to advance graded person-centered healthcare. And I think it's an exciting, I think we're gonna, there's a lot of exciting prospects in this area coming forward. So thank you again for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you.